All right, friends, now we turn to the preaching of God's word. And so if you have your Bibles, please open them with me to the book of Hebrews this morning. The book of Hebrews in the New Testament. Uh, Many of you know that this is perhaps my favorite book in all of Scripture. It is very dear to my soul, and I'm very excited to spend the next four weeks in it together as we consider what it is to be a called church in a post-pandemic world, or in a world that has an ongoing pandemic in it, however you want to say it. Let's begin this morning by reading Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. It says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Amen. May God bless the preaching of his word this morning. Church, the focus of these first four verses, and really the the focus of the entire book of Hebrews, is on Jesus. Jesus is supreme. To to be supreme or, or to have supremacy is to have the highest ranking, to be the greatest among many others. to to be of ultimate value. Jesus is supreme. He is the one of greatest value. Why? Well, because as we will see shortly, he is the one who has made purification for our sins. He has won salvation for his people. And so the writer of Hebrews calls us again and again and again to fix our eyes on him more than on any other person or on any other idea or ideology in this world. And friends, this is, by God's grace, exactly what we're going to do together over the next four weeks. We're going to allow the writer of Hebrews to to fix our eyes on Jesus together and then to make application into our lives from the supremacy of Christ. Folks, the main ideas for the next four weeks are very similar. You can see them on that bookmark. This week's main idea is simply this. The supremacy of Jesus calls us to fix our eyes on him and to commit our lives to his church. Next week's main idea will simply be that the supremacy of Jesus calls us to fix our eyes on him and to love one another. Two weeks from now, the main idea will be that the supremacy of Jesus calls us to fix our eyes on him and to proclaim our hope in him. And then finally, on our third year anniversary in three weeks, the main idea will be that the supremacy of Jesus calls us to fix our eyes on him and to serve our community in his name. So this is, this is where we are headed over the next four weeks. For this morning, again, our main idea is simply this. The supremacy of Jesus calls us to fix our eyes on him and to commit our lives to his church. 
And for our outline this morning, we're simply going to take that main idea and split it into two main points. Point number one, we are called to fix our eyes on Jesus. Point number two, we are called to commit our lives to his church. Let's begin with the first. Point number one, we are called to fix our eyes on Jesus. Look at verse one with me. It says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. What the writer means here is that for a long time now, God has been a God who speaks. We, we have seen that from the very first pages of Scripture in our study of Genesis so far, right? In Genesis chapter 1, it says, and God said, and God said, and God said. He is a God who loves to communicate to his people. And from, from Genesis chapter 1 onward, God has spoken to his people in many different ways and through many different people. Friends, as you hold your Bibles in your hands this morning, it's, it's very clear that this book is made up of God's communication in a diverse way. And so we have books of narrative, historical narrative, which are stories of real-life people given to us to teach us lessons about God and His grace and mercy. We have poetical books, poems and songs written to increase our affection for Christ. You have New Testament letters or epistles written to the church. We even have Sunday morning sermons, which is exactly what the book of Hebrews was originally intended to be. God has always been a God who speaks, and he's always used many different ways to communicate his truth to his people. But notice what it says next in verse 2. It says, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. He is spoken to us by his son. The writer is saying that, that God has always been a God who speaks, but listen, nowhere has God spoken more clearly. Nowhere has God spoken more powerfully. Nowhere has God spoken more loudly or more lovingly than through his son, Jesus Christ. And friends, what the writer of Hebrews then begins to show us is that the way that God has spoken to us through Jesus and through the gospel is far superior to all the other ways that he has spoken to us in the past. And so in, in, in Hebrews chapter 1, we are shown that Jesus has supremacy even over the angelic beings, over the angels, whose very name, the word angel means messengers of God. The writer of Hebrews is saying that the Son, Jesus, is a better messenger than these angelic beings who were created specifically to be messengers of God. Jesus communicates God's heart more clearly than even the angelic beings do. Jesus has more honor and more privilege than the angelic beings do. Now, angels are amazing. Angels are powerful, angels are important, angels are beautiful, but the writer of Hebrews is saying that they are nothing compared to Jesus. We, we see here in chapter 1 that the, the angels surround the throne of God, and they make much of the throne of God, but Jesus sits on the throne of God. The, the writer of Hebrews We'll not just talk about angels, he will also go on to show us how, how Jesus is supreme over all of the prophets in the Old Testament scriptures. Folks, listen, in God's word, the prophets, kind of a big deal. 
that they spoke God's word. God's people were supposed to respect and follow and obey them. But Moses in particular was seen as the greatest of all the prophets. Moses spoke to God on Mount Sinai. Moses had a relationship with God in which he could wrestle and argue with God on behalf of God's people. Moses even got a glimpse of God in Exodus 34. Listen, there were few people throughout redemptive history that the Jewish readers, the the Jewish Christians who are being written to here, there are few people throughout redemptive history that they would have revered and respected more than the prophet Moses. But now turn over to chapter 3, verse Three, it says, for Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. As powerful, as significant, as important as Moses was in God's plan of redemption. I mean, friends, listen, he wrote the book of Genesis, which we've been studying for the last year together. As, as significant and important as he was, the writer is saying he, he's nothing compared to this Jesus. The prophets, Moses included, transferred the words of and the heart of God to God's people. But, but Jesus is the very word of God and the ultimate expression of God's heart for his people. Friends, listen. Jesus will not just, or the writer will not say that Jesus is not just greater than the angels or that he's not just greater than, than Moses. No, the writer of Hebrews goes on to show how all of the Old Testament is completed by and fulfilled in Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 11, for example, the the writer of Hebrews talks about the faith of God's people, and he speaks about people that we've been studying, people like Cain and Abel from Genesis chapter 4. He talks about people like Enoch from Genesis chapter 5. He talks about Noah in Genesis 6 to 8, and Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob, who we have been studying for so long. And the point of it all is to say that all of these people and all of this history has been pointing forward to an ultimate expression of God's goodness and faithfulness, and that expression is this one, Jesus Christ. Jesus is supreme. But church, when when we talk about Jesus in this way, It's important to know that we're not just talking about Jesus as kind of like the most famous character in God's story of redemption. Jesus is not just Harry Potter compared to Neville Longbottom. No, the writer of Hebrews is not just an English teacher trying to help us to find the protagonist of the story. The writer of Hebrews is not saying, just look at Jesus because you know what? He's a bit of a better storyteller than Moses was. No, The writer of Hebrews is saying that Jesus is the whole point of the entire story, right? Look look down at verse 3. It says, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This is the point. God has spoken to us by his son, and this is the message that he has communicated, the message of the gospel, the message of purification from sin, the message of forgiveness. See, when we talk about purification of sin, when we see that in verse 3, the writer is speaking there to something that he is going to expound much more on in chapters 9 to 10. See, in the Old Testament... The Levitical priesthood was created by God so that we would have someone to stand between us and God. 
Because in our sinfulness, in our rebellion, we, we were separated from God. And so God needed to create the Levitical priesthood, which enabled certain men within Israel to stand on our behalf and to offer sacrifices to symbolically atone for or to pay for our sins. And so the priesthood killed many animals as sacrifices to symbolically represent the death that you and I deserve because of our sinful rebellion. And throughout the Old Testament, God graciously and mercifully accepted those animal deaths as a substitute for our own. But listen, those animal sacrifices were not enough. Those animal sacrifices were were temporary. They were not eternal. They could not last forever. They could not cover all sins. And so the temple or the tabernacle was probably the busiest place in all of Israel. Why? Because the work of atoning for our sin is never over. The, The priests were commanded to never sit down in the temple because the work of atonement, the work of paying for our sins was never done. But church, the writer of Hebrews tells us that Jesus is supreme even over the Old Testament priesthood. Because did you notice how verse 3 says that Jesus sat down? Jesus is supreme because he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, meaning he got the job done. Friends, this is the gospel. Jesus made complete and eternal purification for our sins. And friend, we need that purification today, don't we? We need it. We need it so badly. That's what we've seen throughout the book of Genesis again and again and again in the lives of these people. This is what we see in our own lives every single day just from this past week. We are sinners and our sin needs to be paid for. It needs to be atoned for. Friends, this is why Jesus is supreme. He's not just the protagonist of the story. He is the story. He is the perfect mediator, and he is also, listen, the perfect mediating sacrifice. He died in your place. The spotless Lamb of God bore the weight of God's wrath for your sins as he hung on that cross. And so Hebrews says that Jesus speaks a better word. He speaks a better word than the angels. He speaks a better word than the prophets and the the priesthood because Jesus' word carries the heart of God for his people and it's a word of forgiveness and a word of cleansing and a word of purification. Christian, because of the supremacy of Jesus, today, right now, you no longer need to carry your shame. You don't. You can let it go. You no longer need to deal with the condemnation that you feel because of your many mistakes. Because of the supremacy of Jesus, you no longer need to feel like God is judging you. He's not if your faith is in Christ. You no longer need to hang your head in embarrassment and in disappointment because of all you've done. No, you're free. You're free because verse 3 says Jesus has made purifications for sin and then he sat down at the right hand of God. You don't need to wear garments of shame any longer because the king himself died for you and he has now dressed you in royal garments of mercy and grace and forgiveness. Jesus is supreme. Church, Redeemer Fellowship, there's nothing that we can value or devote our lives to that is of greater importance or worth than this Jesus and the message of his gospel, the one who made purification for our sins and gave us life for eternity. Friends, 
in order to understand the importance of considering and fixing our eyes on the supremacy of Jesus, I think we need to consider the context for the book of Hebrews. We know that Hebrews was written to former Jews who had put their faith in Jesus and become Christians and who were seeking to live for Jesus in a very chaotic and hostile world. The message of of Hebrews is about the, the supremacy of Jesus, but it is also a call for these weary Christians to persevere in their faith. It it seems that because of persecution, because of doubt within their own hearts, they they were being tempted to return to Judaism. And and the writer of Hebrews is calling them to, to persevere because he says nowhere that they turn, whether it be back to the empty religiosity of the Old Testament sacrificial system or whether it be to paganism or any other religion, none of it will be as real or as powerful or as satisfying as believing in this Jesus. And so the writer of Hebrews says, pay close attention, chapter 2, verse 1. He says, consider this Jesus, chapter 3, verse 1. He says, remember this Jesus together, chapter 3, verse 12. He says, look at this Jesus and draw near, chapter 10, verse 12, and chapter 12, verse 22. He says, do not move beyond this Jesus to any other message, chapter 13, verse 9. The the writer of Hebrews is is caring for these, these Christians. He's caring for you and I, people in the middle of a chaotic world people dealing with the fallout from a pandemic, people dealing with political unrest, people dealing with physical pain and sorrow, people dealing with relational strain and tension. Listen, he's dealing with people here just like us who might be tempted to say, well, maybe maybe the church should change during these times. Maybe the church should be different. Maybe this message of the gospel is not working out for us after all. Maybe the church should find a new focus or a new message. Maybe the church should take on a new brand. Maybe we should rebrand who we are. Maybe we should become more political. Maybe we should be more culturally relevant. Maybe we should listen to the messages and the ideologies of the world around us. Maybe we should value what they value and think the way that they think. That's totally what the original audience was feeling. But the writer of Hebrews comes to them and says, no, no, don't do it. Don't don't shift your gaze. Don't focus on anything else. Don't listen to any other messages. Don't rebrand. There's nothing greater that you need. There's nothing greater that the church should be about than the supremacy of Christ. And so he says, church, delight in Jesus. Give yourself to this one. Never waver from him. Trials are going to come, and you may feel like you need to come up with something new or a new theme over your life, but don't do it. We need the message of Jesus and his gospel again and again and again. You know, I I remember very early on in our church plant, maybe just a few months after we had started, maybe late in 2018, I remember that there was this older gentleman in our church Uh, who told me that he and his family were going to be leaving the church. And before they left, he wanted to to share with me some significant concerns that he had about me and about the church. And so you might imagine what I felt in that moment. I knew this brother had strong opinions, and so I anticipated him bringing significant correction and significant concern to me. And I I wanted to be receptive to what he said, but but I knew that it wasn't going to be an easy conversation. And so I, I braced myself for the conversation. 
What concerns would he bring? Did he not like my preaching? Did he not like our worship style? Did he not like how I dressed? Did he not like my face? I don't know. What, what was his issue? And I was certainly not ready for what he actually said. After several minutes of talking about other things, he, he finally got around to his main concern. He actually had a British accent, and so I had a hard time not taking everything he said as gospel truth, because the British accent's amazing. But finally, he came around to this main point, and, and, and here's what he said, and I'm not going to do it in a British accent. That would be terrible. But he said, Joel, Joel, I don't mean to be overly critical, and I don't mean to speak too badly about you, but, but I do have a significant concern about you in the church. At this point, I had no idea what to expect. And he went on, he said, here's my concern. You really are kind of a one-trick pony. I did not know what he meant by that, but he went on. He said, you really only do one thing well here. You just preach the same gospel over and over and over again. And it's really the same thing every single week. It's in the singing. It's in the praying. It's in the preaching. It's kind of the same message over and over. And he said, I think that it's ultimately going to bore people. And so I'm going to take my family. I'm going to go to a new church so that we can find a church who gives us something new each week. That's really what he said. I wanted to hug him. It's like, thank you. I wanted to jump up and down and pump my fist. Friend, that's exactly what we want to be. That's exactly what we hope for. What a compliment you just paid to me. Redeemer Fellowship, listen, we want to be a one-trick pony local church. Week after week, month after month, we hope to be a one-trick pony who preaches the same message of the same gospel again and again and again. I honestly don't want to be good at anything else as a church. I never want to move beyond this. Now, are we called to do other things? Absolutely, both in and through the gospel. Yes and amen. And we're going to talk about that more over the next three weeks. But we are never called to move beyond the gospel. Delighting in Jesus. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Considering our sweet Savior. Resting in his power and strength. Celebrating his sufficient work that he has done for us. We must rest in him. We must fix our eyes on this one, and only this one. We must never move beyond Christ, either as individuals or as a whole church family. And folks, that brings us to our second point this morning. Point number two, we are called to commit our lives to his church. The, the writer of Hebrews is caring for Christians during very troubling times. And his primary concern is to focus them on Jesus. But that is not his only concern. No, like so many of the other New Testament writers, the writer of Hebrews says that one of the very best ways that we delight in Jesus is to commit our lives to Jesus' church. See, throughout the whole book of Hebrews, the writer speaks to his readers always in the plural. It's never singular. He's not addressing individuals. He's addressing a whole corporate group. In chapter 3, he says that we have come to share in Christ together. It's not individual, it's a corporate experience. In chapter 8, he, he speaks of God creating a house and a people. He, he uses family language throughout the whole book. In chapter 13, he talks about church membership by talking about how uh, the need for the church leadership and the authority to be faithful and for the church to submit. And, and maybe most significantly for us this morning, in chapter 10, we see the explicit excuse me, the explicit command to not neglect to meet together as is the habit of some. 
He's saying to us, I know the times are hard. I know that this world is painful. I know that you're dealing with uncertainty and trouble and even persecution. I know that because of COVID and and all the online church options out there that it's easy to not prioritize Sunday mornings together. But he's saying, don't stop meeting together. You need to be with your church family more than ever. He's saying, this is how you will persevere through the uncertain times. This is how you will be encouraged through the darkness. This is how you're going to fight sin. This is how you will receive God's personal care for you. This is how you will go on to maturity with the rest of the church. He says, love the church. Value the gathering. Commit to the church. Invest your lives and your family's life into the church. It's unmistakable throughout the book of Hebrews and throughout the rest of the New Testament that those who focus on Jesus also focus on his body, the church. Faithfulness to Christ absolutely involves faithfulness to his church. Sam Alberry says this, he says, it's impossible to answer the question, what is a Christian, without ending up in a conversation about the church. Isn't that good? Joel Beakey says, are you a member of a local church that is faithful to Christ? It is a contradiction to say that you have received God's revelation by the Spirit through the Word only to stand alone apart from Christ's church. He says, you cannot be vitally joined to Christ while being willfully separated from his body. Christian, biblically speaking, to to be a Christian must include being an active member of the church. Why? Because according to Hebrews, the, the church is how Jesus promises to preserve us through these hard times until the final day. The church is how he encourages the tired and the worn down and the sorrowful. The, the church is how he gives comfort and courage to the, to the persecuted and the fearful. The church is how he makes his name known in the world around us. We're not meant to live alone. We're not meant to live alone. And one of God's greatest gifts in our lives to strengthen and encourage and uphold us through the difficult times is the local church, his body. That the writer of Hebrews wants us to know that as Christians in a, in a chaotic world, we are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. First of all, a cloud of witnesses from all of redemptive history past. But we should also know that we are surrounded by members of a local church family. We're in this together. Christian, you need the church today more than ever. In fact, the more mature you are in Christ, the greater your need for the church, not less. It's not just for beginners, and then we grow out of that dependency. A primary indicator of Christian maturity is a strong commitment to the local church and to the Sunday morning gathering in particular. I do not know a mature Christian who does not prioritize the Sunday gathering in a really significant way in their lives. And friends, I think that that's important for us to discuss because as as we begin, hopefully, who knows, to come out of COVID, many people have, sadly, lost vision for the local church. Understandably so in some ways because many people have been legitimately hurt by the church and so they've been looking for any excuse to separate from the church. But many other people have simply just created bad habits towards the church throughout the pandemic and they no longer value the the church or Sunday gathering in particular. Now, Redeemer Fellowship, here's what I love as we turn towards application this morning. I love that I don't have to be corrective as we seek to apply these truths at all. 
Sadly, many pastors would need to take the opportunity here to both lament and correct the lack of fruitfulness and obedience in their church's life. But Redeemer Fellowship, I don't have to. Rather, it's the exact opposite. I get to affirm and celebrate you as a church family. Now, yes, there are things that I think are important for us to consider and to reprioritize together and to prayerfully consider how we can grow in them. But the overwhelming emotion of my heart, at least this morning, is gratitude and joy. You, church, have delighted in Christ by being very committed to him over these last three years and over the last 18 months in particular. When it comes to the Sunday gathering, you have watched from home when it was the only thing that we could do, and you were faithful to do that. You gathered on those horrible, but I guess gracious Zoom meetings as fellowship groups. We all grew very tired of that very quickly, but you were faithful. You have not let the discomfort of mass keep you from coming. You've not allowed political opinions about the pandemic to keep you away or to keep you divided. You have dealt with an ever-changing climate around, and you have done so while prioritizing the Sunday gathering in particular. Church, thank you. Well done. This is God's grace at work in your life. But church, I do think that there are a few things that COVID hasn't stolen from us at all, but I think that COVID has, has threatened in our life together as a church, and that we should be mindful of these things as a church family. That there are probably three priorities about Sunday mornings in particular that we want to keep before all of us as we move forward. Priority number one is simply Sunday morning attendance. And so the writer of Hebrews says, do not neglect to meet together. He means don't stay separated. Don't, don't remain divided. Don't remain home if at all possible. God's people must physically come together whenever they are able. We, we need to see each other in worship. We need to hear each other's voices in prayer. We need to be reminded that we are part of a physical and a relational body of, of, of Christ. We need this. Our souls are desperate for this. We're not meant to be alone. And I understand that there are many reasons right now to remain at home. And so if you're watching online, we love you and we celebrate and we thank God for you. But this is just for us as a church family as we begin to move forward. Friends, this is one of the reasons why here at Redeemer Fellowship on a Sunday morning, we are not interested in a, in a concert type experience of singing we're not going to turn the lights way down and turn the music way up. This is not a concert. You, you don't come to church to have an individual experience like you do a concert. No, you come to church to worship with God's people and to be reminded of his faithfulness. I want in the middle of worship to be able to turn and look across the room and see that brother or sister's face and say, oh, I know the trial that they went through this week, but yet they with me are still praising Jesus for who he is. We need this. This is why... This is why we are going to be returning to progressive communion when we all come down front for communion. We're going to be returning to that as soon as possible. Why? Because we want to visibly see the church partake in this family meal together. We want to visibly know who's a part of our church family. Friends, this is also why uh, we are going to be no longer providing public streaming to our services starting in the middle of September. Uh, we're still going to be streaming and have it available for those who ask us for it in advance and, and those who remain uncomfortable because of COVID circumstances. It will be made available. You'll just have to request it. But we don't believe that, that streaming is helpful to the church long term because it often allows Christians to not prioritize physically being together. 
Redeemer Fellowship, God's word exhorts us. It, It encourages us. It commands us to make a really big deal about the Sunday gathering, which honestly is is why it's so shocking that the statistics show that most Christians today think that attending church just once or or maybe twice a month is sufficient for their spiritual well-being. It's not. It's not. By God's design, it's not. Church is not a hobby that we may or may not participate in on a given weekend. Church is supposed to be central to who we are as Christians. It's a primary way that we delight in Christ together. Makes me think of a meme I saw this week. This is not in my notes. Hopefully I communicated well. There was a meme this week speaking of Afghanistan. And it said something like Afghanistan church where they'll meet even if under threat of death. And then the American church. It was like, we will meet unless there's a birthday party or a family gathering or a sporting event. It's just a wonderful picture of who we tend to be in the American church. Church is just one of many, many options. That's not God's design for us. So let us prioritize delighting in Christ by delighting in his church together. Priority number two, Sunday morning service. Sunday morning service. And and this might be the area that honestly I think that COVID has, has maybe threatened the most here at Redeemer Fellowship because of restrictions, because of, of limited serving opportunities, because we weren't doing many things because of distance from each other. Uh, We've not been able to prioritize or pursue serving opportunities on a Sunday morning, and it's kind of a big deal at this point in our life together as a church family. From the very start of our church plan, we said that Redeemer Fellowship is not going to be a spectator experience. No, church, particularly Sunday mornings, is where every member of the family comes eagerly to contribute and participate in the work of ministry that God is doing. And so I have two areas that I want to mention here. Uh, The first one in the area of Sunday morning service might be a surprise to you. Friends, did you know that you can serve and care for your church family on Sunday mornings simply by preparing your heart for church in advance? This is actually really important for the body of Christ. I I think too many of us come into church very distracted. It's just one of many things that we are doing We almost don't even start about what God has for us until we sit in the seat and the call to worship begins. And even then, our phones are close by to distract us. But but to be that distracted does not serve your soul, and it does not serve the body either. And so I would encourage you, begin to prayerfully prepare your heart for the Sunday gathering before you even step onto the premises. I would say on Saturday nights, begin to to spend time reflecting on what you hope and pray God would do the next day. Dad, spend family devotions on Saturday nights for yourselves and pray for what God would do in your family's life at church. Listen to worship music on your way to church. Pray together as you park in the parking lot and, and prepare to come in that you would both be blessed and that you would be a blessing, that you would be actively a part of what God is doing. As, as we serve in this way, As we prepare our hearts in this way, we're going to come in and we are going to care for those around us far better than we do when we just rush in here uh, without any uh, prior uh, reflection. The second area of service is the area of ministry teams. Uh, In order for our whole church family to enjoy and to be blessed by the Sunday gathering We desperately need many volunteers to help on our Sunday morning ministry teams in particular. Uh, We are going to talk 
in three weeks about uh, mercy teams that we're creating, which are outward focused. But today we're talking only about Sunday morning ministry teams. Uh, And so uh, I am excited to say, parents, listen up, that we think it's very likely that by the end of September we will be at full capacity in Redeemer Kids, able to enjoy the full experience yet again. And that's a really big deal for you parents who have been so faithful. Thank you, brother. Um, and so, but what that means is we need a lot of volunteers. We need at least, I think it's 30 to 40 new people to say that they'd be willing to serve in Redeemer Kids. Uh, the, the tolls told me earlier this week that we have almost 100% of our parents who are already signed up to serve in some way, which is amazing. But that means that if you're not a parent, if you're an older person in the church or a single or a college student or a young married uh, couple or even a high schooler, if you would prayerfully consider joining us in Redeemer Kids so that more and more people can come in and be blessed by the Sunday gathering, that would be incredibly meaningful and I think important for us uh, to value these things together. And it's not just Redeemer Kids. All of the ministry teams need help. Function support is going to need a lot of help. Sound and tech, a lot of help. Hospitality, welcoming team, video team, all these teams need volunteers that we can continue to delight in Christ through a rich experience together on Sunday mornings. All right, priority number three, Sunday morning joy. I'm going to keep this very short because we're running out of time. But ever since we planted Redeemer Fellowship three years ago, We have consistently prayed that God would make us a joyful, happy, worshipful, expressive church family. That we would love to come together on Sunday mornings and sing God's praises loudly and to respond with expressiveness and thanksgiving in our hearts. To joyfully fellowship with each other both during the gathering and after the gathering. But COVID has made that hard, hasn't it? Social distancing made it hard to greet one another warmly. Masks made it hard to worship enthusiastically. Sunday mornings really did take on a different feel once COVID hit. Worship was more subdued. Fellowship afterwards was was short or almost non-existent for many as people just felt like it was easier to go home than to try to have that conversation with masks on. And so, church, I think that it's important to, to prayerfully reprioritize Sunday morning joy together, to come in eager to celebrate God's goodness in our lives, to, to sing loudly together, to be expressive, to encourage each other boldly in our participation of the gathering and in our fellowship afterwards, to not rush off, but to spend extended time together as brothers and sisters in Christ, which again is one of the reasons why we provided food throughout this series, just to incline people to stay longer. May God continue to make us a joyful church family. Now, friends, as we close, I'm aware that to talk about the church is a hard thing for many. Church hurt, church pain is a very real thing. And to consider God's call to commit to a local church and to prioritize it in a bigger way in your life can be very difficult because for many of us, church has not always been a blessing. Church has not always been a delight. For many of us, church attendance and church membership has been anything but a form of delighting in Christ. And that is very hard. But friends, this this does not mean that all church experiences need to be the same or that the danger of being hurt again should lead you to not prioritize the local church. No, this is too important, friends. 
The good that God has for us is too great in this. And so even though I know past church experiences might be marked by pain and sorrow, I want to encourage you to delight in Christ through this means, in part by committing your life to a local church, whether it be here at Redeemer Fellowship or another faithful gospel-preaching church. And I want to conclude by encouraging you in this by inviting Amanda Chapman up to share her testimony of how God has preserved her love for the church even when it was not always easy. And so I'm going to invite the band to come up as well. Amanda, if you could come and share church, let's welcome her, and then we will sing. When Drew and I were first married we prayed for a Sovereign Grace Church to be planted in Philadelphia. We both lived in Philly when we met in college and both felt called to move back to the city. So we were ecstatic when Covenant Fellowship announced the church plant to West Philly in 2013. The Lord answered our prayers to make it possible to move there about three months into the church plant and we went excited and ready to take on whatever challenges came our way. As many of you know, a young church plant takes a lot of work, and we threw ourselves into serving as much as we possibly could. We joined several ministry teams, and Drew served as a pastoral intern. Things seemed to be going pretty well until about three years in, when we found out the senior pastor was leaving in a couple months. A new senior pastor was coming in that we didn't really know, and it left the entire church unsure about what was next. But Drew and I were committed to seeing things through and felt like that was where the Lord was leading us as a church. The pastoral transition had a major impact on members of our church. And by about one year after the transition, the majority of people on the church planning team, people we had built our life with, even our best friends, left. We worked at building new friendships, and though we had some sweet times with many people who became dear to us, they eventually left too. Our church felt like a revolving door of people. While we continued serving week after week, we did not have any close friends or anyone that we felt deep care or discipleship from. Although the Lord was meeting me in my devotional time, delighting in Christ became a daily battle with such a limited support system. Last year, we knew we were seriously burnt out and couldn't continue serving effectively without a season of rest and care. Drew made the heartbreaking decision to step down from his pastoral role, and it became increasingly clear that this meant leaving the city and the church. I wondered why the Lord gave us such a deep calling to that church, only to experience hurt and loneliness and ultimately leave the church and the city that we never expected to. Even though I didn't feel it, I knew from scripture that God loves his church and we needed to continue to build our life around a church family. Drew and I have always had a deep conviction that we need to live close to the church we attend and be part of the community there. So we looked at places to move near a short list of churches and eventually settled on a church in Lancaster. We were about to put in an offer on a house when a longtime friend had lunch with Drew and asked us some pretty convicting questions. Who was going to care for us in Lancaster? Were we looking for a church we could truly be a part of, or were we looking for anonymity? Was this a healthy decision long-term? When Drew and I talked through these questions, I realized I was feeling so hurt from the church we were in that I wanted to go somewhere I could hide. 
somewhere that I couldn't be hurt again. I wanted to be in a place and a church where no one needed anything from me, where no one knew that Drew was a pastor and no one asked me to serve on a ministry team. I felt like I needed a long season of physical, emotional, and spiritual rest and was hesitant about getting that here. But ultimately, the evening of that conversation, we decided to move to Delaware to be a part of Redeemer. Even though I was hesitant, I knew that God had good things in store for us after our very first experience of need, our move to Wilmington. We had people showing up at our house to help us move that we had never met. People came from our future fellowship group to weed our yard and blow our leaves. Someone who barely knew me helped me deep clean our basement and then took our dogs for a walk. People brought food and made sure we had whatever we needed. Your hospitality and generosity led me to delight in Christ's provision for us. We also needed friendships and people who would care for us, and it was really hard for me to trust that God was going to provide long-term relationships after some of my previous experiences. To be honest, it's still a fear of mine that close friends are going to decide to leave. But God knew exactly what I needed and brought so many people into our life to love and care for us. We started building back into relationships that started at Covenant Fellowship many years ago. And on top of that, we also met new friends who deeply care for us that we've only known a short time. I found myself more and more excited to spend time with people, and in a radical turn of roles, I was suddenly filling Drew's schedule with lunches and times of fellowship. Your friendships encouraged me to pursue a deeper relationship with Christ where my desire for deep relationship can be fully satisfied. And as much as we were enjoying the church, the idea of serving at church felt like a huge burden to me, something I needed a break from. And so when, Drew, when Joel asked us to lead the Code Red Youth Ministry, my first reaction was, I'm not even qualified to do this. What are you thinking? But the Lord had better plans for me and began to show me again the joy of serving the church. I also became involved in the sound team and saw so many examples of people who serve tirelessly on Sunday mornings because of the love they have for Jesus and his church. When Drew and I came to Redeemer last year, tired and burnout, I thought I knew exactly what I needed, a long season of downtime. And don't get me wrong, a break after a hard season is needed, and we did experience that for a time. But the Lord graciously and patiently reminded me that I couldn't just rest physically. I needed to rest in Christ to truly be refreshed. Jesus is ultimately who gives my soul rest, and I work and serve in his strength. But the Lord also gives us each other. I couldn't just be by myself to recharge. I needed the help of our church family to carry our burdens and needs. I need other people to point me to God and his word and to encourage me. I am so grateful for Redeemer Fellowship and how you all have done all these things and more. My heart truly delights in Christ because of you. Thank you.